We are today carrying on in the second sermon series during Lent, a period of preparation and repentance before Easter. And we're going to talk about, as we did last week and for the next few weeks, what we're calling acceptable sins. And by that we mean not that sins are fine and they don't matter, but that there are certain kinds of sins that we all know to stay well away from. They're impolite, they're rude, they're destructive, and everybody agrees that they're bad. There are other kinds of sins that are far more polite, they're far more natural, they make good sense, and no one around us is doing anything any differently, and so we're prone to get trapped by them. And so we wanted to talk about that, Today we're going to talk about fear. Dave Barry said this, some of you who like to read literature, read his books. He's a classic in American literature. Dave Barry is a columnist. He writes funny things in newspapers. He said this, all of us are born with a set of instinctive fears. Fears of falling, of the dark, of lobsters, of falling on lobsters in the dark, of speaking before a rotary club, and of the words, some assembly required. He is a funny man, and he recognizes, though, a truth that we have all kinds of fears, and some of them are ridiculous, and some of them are warranted, but fear is one of these things that God has hardwired into us. Psychologists would say it's meant to be a self-correcting mechanism. It's an indication that something's wrong and so you need to act, to fight or to flee, to do something. Fear is supposed to work in good ways, in protectionary ways, but as you and I both know, this thing that's meant to work right in us can, like a thermostat in an overheating car, get stuck. And when it gets stuck, the fear level can rise tremendously, and we begin to sort of orient our lives all around fear, making our decisions about what we will and won't do on fear, letting our fears about what might happen to us dictate how we're using our time and our money, how we're using our noggins, our thoughts, our work. And so we wanted to talk a little bit about that today. Because when you look at the scriptures, one author has said, there are 366, which is one for every day of the year, and in a leap year like this one, one for the leap day as well, commands where the Bible says, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Fear not. And to get at something of why the Bible takes this thing that's so common and normal for us, and says, look, this is a sin. You may not recognize it as such, but it's an affront. I would like to kind of take what God has said to Israel here in Isaiah 43 that Jad just read with his trusty cohort, Daniel, and have you flip it on its head a little and consider it from another vantage point. Because, see, God is talking to his people in anticipation of a return from exile, And these people have, for their whole history, lived in a dangerous and treacherous world. 
their instinct has been in the face of that danger and treacherousness to distrust God and to seek to make alliances with the very real threats that they can see around them. Whether it be the Assyrians and their ruthless militaristic ways or the Babylonians who are just about as ruthless. Maybe we can get some kind of diplomacy going. Maybe we can get some sort of alliance to protect us. They're always hedging their bets. Yeah, yeah, we'll worship God, but maybe we just to make sure, maybe we'll throw a few offerings Baal's way. Just, you know, we want the crops to come out. You never know. And so God is saying, I'm your God. I've called you by name. You're, You're mine. There is no other God apart from me. There is no other Savior apart from me. Let's think of it this way. Let's imagine that we're just ourselves and we're having a prayer and we prayed like this. Dear God, you might have some more ornate salutation than that, but we'll just start stick with that. Dear God, I come to you today envisioning how you get so busy with other things that you forget about a lot. The world is scary and dangerous, O oh Lord, but I doubt you realize that. So I wanted to bring it to your attention. There are terrorists and liberals and child molesters, and foods with pesticides. Social security is nearly defunct, and Fox News seems smarter than you to me. I'm scared about what's going to happen to me, and to my children, and to my house, and to my retirement, and realize you don't care, so I thought I'd try to listen to my fears for a change. In fact, I bought a gun as well. And an extra large insurance policy. No offense, but you seem really weak and passive and unreliable and ineffective and dumb to me. So I thought I'd begin my own little community of protection against the mean, unshowered world. I'm tired from having to bear so much, but assume that since the world, its provisions, the sustenance of my and my family's well-being depends on me, that I really have no other choice. I hope you understand. Eric, or you can fill in your name. Now, that was a silly letter trying to flip on its head something of what God's saying to these Israelites here. When we live by fear, when we let our fears grow monstrous and then begin to let them dictate our next move or our no moves, in a sense, we are doing something very personal. We're doing something very personal against God. See, fear is personal. That's how God takes it. When His people are immobilized by fears, or they're living their life in the nourishment of their fears, God takes it as an offense. He thinks of it as, you don't think very much of me, do you? You don't think that I'm actually able to do anything. You think I'm unreliable. You don't think that I keep my promises. You don't think that my presence matters. You think my love is irres- it's, it's immaterial. And God takes that, as you might imagine, a little bit personally. You might feel the same way. If your children, in the middle of the night, 
They heard some noise. Or they woke up. It was really dark and they were scared. And they just started wailing. And you had told them, just come to our room if you get scared. And they said on that particular night, well, you're kind of a loser. I just thought I'd be better off just crying here by myself because what are you going to do, Mom? What are you going to do, Dad? I mean, look at you. Look at you. You might take that a little personally if your children didn't think you could comfort them in some way. That your presence with them could be a stilling force in some way. And God takes it personally. And so he urges us over and over and over and over again, don't be afraid. Fear is personal. It's also, it's really rather excluding. And we don't think about this aspect of it. It's part of why God tells us not to be afraid so often. Do not fear what they fear. Don't call conspiracy what they call conspiracy. Don't let your concerns be the same as that of the nations. Because let me tell you why he says this. Go for a minute to some of your favorite fears. And you do have favorite ones. Not that you like them, but that you continue to revisit them. You like to have them over and have tea. And you are conversant with them. You're worried about what's going to happen to your business. What's going to happen to your kids. What if I don't have enough money? What if, I, what if I lose my job? What if I get cancer? What if I get wrinkles? What if people think I'm dumb? What if someone's mad at me? I don't know what your particular ones are. I'm assuming I just hit on a few. In almost every case, can I make a suggestion of what you're doing? It's what I do. In almost every case, whenever these fears grow out of hand about what's going to happen in the future or what I fear is going to happen to me and mine, in almost every case, I am envisioning a godless future. In almost every case, when you're worried about what's going to happen to you financially in the future, you're envisioning a future where God is not. And God thinks that's not good. In almost every case where you're envisioning what's going to happen to my children when they go off to college, you're envisioning a college where your God is not. When you're worried about what's going to happen to your body or to your family, when you're worried about anything and it starts to immobilize you and starts to be the thing that you meditate on and ruminate on, you're envisioning a future where if God's there, He can't do nothing about it. Or else he's just not there at all. Now, we never think of it that way. We never think, hey, God, hold on a second. I'm going to try to think about for a little while, just so that I can't sleep, what the future is going to be like when you're not there. No one explicitly does that. That's the Satan, Satan's trick. He says in screw tape letters, there's nothing like suspense and anxiety to barricade our patient from the enemy. They know. Demons know. When you get good and afraid, it can separate you from God. Because you've excluded Him from your life. You've excluded His promises from mattering to you. You've excluded His presence from what you're hoping for in the future. And so, of course, you're envisioning hell. That's fearful. Because hell's the only place where God ain't. He's promised that He's with His people, though. He's promised that His future 
And this minute, and the next second, and the next month, and the next year, he will not ever abandon his people. And so he thinks it's an affront when you start envisioning a future where he is not. You're excluding him. That's part of why he says, don't be afraid. That's part of why he upbraids his disciples. Oh, ye of little faith, why are you scared? I'm here. Doesn't that mean something? Fear is personal and it's excluding. And fear is to be itself disobeyed so that you can obey the one who gives life. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. No one can deliver out of my hand. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, do not be afraid. I am with you. You know what happens to us? That sometimes the fear gets so large that we have to act on it, we think. The only way to get through it is to obey the fear. And that's really the main reason. When I'm saying God takes it personally, it excludes God. When God is constantly telling us, do not be afraid. It's not that he's saying, if someone's got a gun to your head, your heart should not be palpitating furiously. He's not saying, if you're driving down the ridge cut and you're going 120 miles an hour, young people, and your steering wheel starting to shimmy, and you start to think, maybe this is insane. I'm going to die. I have to put the brakes on. He's saying that's a good cause for fear. The reason he says don't be afraid is because generally fear, like nothing else, will keep people from obeying. It'll keep people from, it'll barricade them from listening to God. And then as a community, a community committed to safety, we'll, we'll sanction it in each other's lives. Nobody is going to say, don't, don't play it so safe. If we're all mutually concerned as our primary value, safety. If we're all concerned about obeying fear, we can't be concerned about obeying God. Because he often calls us to things that are frightful. He doesn't tell his people, you won't pass through any waters, so I'll be with you. You won't pass through any rivers, and you won't walk through any fires. He just says, when you go through that stuff, you won't be going through it by yourself. When you go through the most devastating and horrifying circumstances, you will not ever go through those horrifying and devastating circumstances alone. So you can do it. That's why he tells his disciples who are nervous like we are when they're about to go out and he knows they're going to get, this won't happen to us, most of us, they're going to get killed for their faith. And he says, don't fear people who can just kill your body. Fear the one who after they do that can do something, like throw you in hell. In other words, don't fear people, fear God. And if you fear God above all else and know he's got your back and know he's on your side and know that he's accepted you and know that you're precious to him, honored in his sight, you're the recipient of his deep and prior love for you, then you don't have to be worried about what happens to you. You know that not a hair can fall from your head apart from the will of your Father in heaven. And then you can obey. Because here's what I can assure you. 
We're all called and summoned by Christ to certain kinds of obedience. And a lot of it is going to seem frightful. Do you hear that? A lot of times we think, maybe, I don't know if we think this or not, but we think if Jesus is going to call us to something, that it's just going to feel good. And it can feel good. And it feels a lot better to not listen to your fears and obey Jesus than it does to disobey Jesus and to listen to your fears. There's not anybody I know who feels good about being a coward. You ever felt really on top of the world and written about it on your blog? Oh, I had a chance to speak up yesterday in a confrontational situation and I was so scared that I did it. I ran away. I started crying. It was awesome. I hope my children are like that when they grow up. I would love it if I could just breed a fearful race of people who won't do anything hard because they're terrified. I would be so proud. There are people right now that you won't love, and I won't either, that we won't move into their lives, that you won't share the gospel with, that you won't share your life with, you won't open your home to. And you know why? It's because you're afraid. And the courage that Jesus gives us, I'm going to be with you. Don't obey your fears. Disobey your fears. Do not listen to your fears. Listen to me. I'll be with you. When you, as Joe Novison has said, when you walk through the door marked fear, you often meet Jesus on the other side. But a lot of times you have to walk through that door before you meet him. I guarantee you there are those of you in here who, when you have not obeyed your fears, you've seen God show up. Because that's how faith grows. It's by risk-taking. It's by doing things that make you feel a little nervous. It's by doing things that make you have to say, oh my goodness, if I do this and God's not there, I'm toast. And you do it, and you find out God was there. He promised He will be. I won't ever leave you or forsake you. No one can deliver out of my hand. I am the God. I am God, and there is no other. There's service to be done and evangelism to be done and hospitality to be shown and love to be given and hard situations that need us to step into them and we're afraid that we might be shown up for not knowing anything, that we might not know what to do, so we avoid them. And God says, do not listen to your fears. Disobey your fears. You have my permission. Obey me. Move in love and fear will vanish. Fear is personal. It's excluding. It's to be disobeyed. And lastly this. It's a bad apologetic, but a very good virus. What I mean by that is this. Fear is a bad apologetic in the sense it's bad PR. If we are people who say that we belong to Jesus Christ, my only hope, my only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sins and rescued me from the tyranny of the devil. He watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head, apart from the will of my Father. If we're people who believe that, and then go out into the world as the most nervous people the world has ever seen, What does that say except that our God is very puny and not worth our trust? Nations, co-workers, neighbors, 
Come, listen to the summons of Jesus. And be a nervous wreck the rest of your life. Our God cannot do anything. As Barack Obama single-handedly destroys the future of Western civilization, our God is powerless. Rejoice! As the economy crumbles, we have no hope. The infidels and the immorals and the gays, we can be against them all because we're nervous. God can't do anything. The future is not sure. Come join us. Our God says, oh, all the time to a people who are scared to death. Listen, listen to this. Journalist Bob Garfield tracked health articles in the Washington Post, the USA Today, and New York Times and discovered that according to experts... 59 million Americans have heart disease. 53 million suffer migraines. 25 million have osteoporosis. 16 million struggle with obesity. 3 million have cancer. 12 million have severe disorders such as brain injuries. That results, or the results are these, that 543 million Americans are seriously sick, which is shocking in a country of 266 million people. They're making the point, either as a society we are doomed or someone is seriously double-dipping. <laughs> now, that's an old report, and the numbers, consensus numbers don't add up to what our present ones are. But you get the idea. We live in a culture where fear makes sense. Fear sells. Nobody is telling you to envision a future where God is. Nobody. We've got to tell each other. We've got to encourage each other to be faithful to our Savior who's faithful to us, who alone can save us. Our money won't, and our government won't. Our national defense won't. Our Savior will. And we cannot represent Him. We cannot herald His greatness if we live as the most cowardly people that the world has ever seen. We don't have to be afraid. But if we are, the only thing that fear does is it's just a really good virus. That's what's happening in our culture right now. Nearly everything that is induced in people, you with your children and their eating habits, you with your health, you with your provisions for the future, you and what you worry about, it's all driven by voices of fear. Not by voices of God's going to be present next week no matter what happens. God's going to sustain us next week. No matter what happens to our money, no matter what happens to our children, no matter what happens to our bodies, God is going to be there. But if we start to be fearful, we'll raise fearful children. We'll we'll advertise an unreliable God. Fear is personal to God. It's, It's excluding. It's to be disobeyed. It's a bad apologetic, but it's a very good virus. And it's it's a sin. And like all sins, God doesn't just arbitrarily say, don't do it, because that's dumb. And I'm going to beat you up if you do. Sin barricades us from life. Sin barricades us from the God who wants us not to be afraid. Do you hear that? That's what God's saying. Like you say to your children, "Don't, don't fear, little one. Do not fear. Tomorrow... I'll be here still. 
and the next day after that. So whenever you find yourself fearful, whenever you find yourself ruled by fears, you know what you can do? You can start to fight against it. My first car was a 1978 Volkswagen Rabbit. Prime, primo, pristine, $750 car. So magnificent was this German engineered machine that boys at school could pick up the back of it and move it from its parking place as a fun joke. Not altogether move it, but just move it out into the road. Well, this car had multiple defects, and one of which was it overheated often. So I drove with a gallon of water in my car. And then the mornings before I went to school, I loaded up my radiator with a gallon of water. And then when I left school after practice in the afternoons, I would load it back up with a gallon of water. I always made sure I had a gallon of water with me so that I would not have an exploding engine. If I had thought, now the ideal thing would have been to get a new radiator, but I, you know, I didn't want to spend any money. If I had thought, this is normal. It's normal just to have an overheating car, so don't tend to it. You know what would have happened? My engine would have blown. It would have overheated. The car would have been in a state of disrepair. It wouldn't have worked right. But I knew this overheating is not what's supposed to happen. It needs coolant. Since I was going so fast, I didn't use the expensive stuff, just water. It needs coolant. And Jesus says, to the fire of your fear, to the overheating of your fear, I want you to apply the coolant of myself. When you find yourself fearful, repent. Admit it. Say, God, I'm sorry. At this moment, it doesn't really mean anything to me that I'm adored by you. I realize that's kind of like spitting in your face. Forgive me and drive out my fears. Give me faith. Forgive me that right now being precious to you seems to be about as helpful as having a rubber sword walking down midnight in the projects. Forgive me for thinking of your love and your being regarded as precious in your sight like that. Change me. Drive out my fear. Let fear not be the primary voice I hear. Let your voice be the one I hear. You're the only one who can save. I guarantee it'll be a coolant to the fire of all our fears. Let's pray.